0: There are three good things that happen when you laugh. For five seconds, you don't hate anybody, you're not hurting anybody, and nobody's hurting you.
1: Dig that. Today's podcast is sponsored by Patreon supporter Susan Sussman. If you'd like to learn more about how you can support the podcast through a monthly recurring small donation, let me know. You can visit me at schooloflast.com forward slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, or patreon.com forward slash School of Laughs. Thanks, Susan. Welcome to the show. This is Rick Roberts. Thanks for joining us today for a great interview with Rex Havens. Rex is a guy I worked with early on in my comedy career who gave up a lot to pursue comedy And he is glad he did. So we're going to check out that interview in just a second. I do want to thank again Susan Sussman for supporting the podcast through Patreon and all the Patreon supporters for continuing the show so everybody can listen to it. Again, if you want to join that Patreon thing, check it out. It's great, and it includes a cool thing that we're doing called Club 52. And right now we have 20 people signed up in Club 52, which is a 52-week email blast. Every single week you get an email from me on Friday to help you tweak and take your comedy to another level, sometimes through business methods, sometimes through marketing, branding, all kinds of different things, writing, of course, and performing in the business of comedy. And it's a 52-week commitment. We're in there every single week, and I'm challenging everyone in that group to get bigger and better. And it's not too late to join in if that sounds like something you would like. It's not a class, per se. I never got to say per se, per se, before, so I said it. But it is a challenge, and I will help guide everybody that's in Club 52 through those challenges to make them bigger and better. My goal is for everybody listening to this podcast to put the things we talk about into use and make a better career out of it. So patreon.com forward slash School of Laughs or schooloflasts.com forward slash Patreon. Today, like I said, we got Rex Havens. He's one of my favorite clean comics out there, and he's clean by choice. And I met him way back when you'll hear about how we first met. And I worked with him several different times, and I was just impressed at an early age in my career that a guy could go out and be clean consistently in environments where they were rarely used to seeing a clean comedian. So we talk about that, talk about a lot of other things, including a little bit about work-life balance and what keeps him going after all these years in stand-up comedy. So you know what? I'll talk to you a little bit more after the interview. Let's get right into it. Well, I'm here with Rex Havens. Rex, how's it going this morning, bud? Thank you for having me on, man. It's uh, so great
0: to see your face. It's been so many years, and I've missed you.
1: It's been a while. You know, I was talking to my wife last night about who I was going to be calling today, and she goes, where'd you meet him at? And I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's at the Cuckoo's Bowlin Alley in Cartersville, Illinois, for a John Yoder gig on a Tuesday (laughs) night. Does that sound about right? That could well be (laughs) it. And there you Uh, are. It's a a glamorous life, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. It was... uh, it was amazing how many people turned out to that bowling alley, and and how you know, and there was a lot of those. But I think it was a couple bowling alley gigs, and then we ended up working in um, it wasn't Peoria, Illinois, but where the Treehouse was, Bloomington,
0: Bloomington. Bloomington.
1: So, we were, and we worked there that weekend, and that was a, probably the first, really the first time I did one nighters and saw somebody work clean the whole way through it. Like I was like, oh man, I didn't know you could really do that on one nighters where these guys are drinking at a bar inside a bowling alley and still keep your last up and you were rapid fire you had those signs do you yeah the signs yeah i do and um so i was impressed by that and i think we hit it off because i was clean at the time too and you're like hey somebody else that's uh doing it this way
0: i'll be honest with you i never thought i always got that reputation like uh, uh you're uh when, especially when i would go back to a club a second time it was oh, okay well you're you're a clean act so uh so uh we we got somebody to open for you that's clean also. And I always thought, why did they always say that? Why, I, 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 it's, it's, it's not like I'm a prude. And, I mean, I've got some material that I didn't particularly think was terribly clean. I just think it is the, the average comedian was so filthy that, that by comparison I seemed like a squeaky clean guy. The truth is I was born on the wrong side of town. Uh, there was, a, there was a certainly language around all the time, and I don't have too much problem with it. I don't, uh, tend, I don't tend to use it very often. And, and and another truth about comedy is, uh, if you can if you can work clean, it only takes a little extra thought. It only takes a little bit more thought to write something in a in a, in a clean manner than it does to come up with it with a dirty language and shock value. And if you'll put that extra little bit of extra effort in, you'll find uh, that there are surprisingly many many more places that will hire you. There's, if, if you're going to be a dirty act then and you're content to only work in the comedy clubs, then fine, do that. But, you know, even Chris Rock has counseled young comedians to learn how to work clean. And he, he, he actually tells them there's more places uh, you can work, more people who will hire you uh, if they're not worried that you're going to stink up the place.
1: Yeah, you're, you're building your bank of TV bits you can do when you're doing late night and all those other things, too, when you're working clean. Yeah, and uh, just a little more easy to get the gigs easy
0: to keep the gigs and you've still got that extra gear if you're in a place where you need it I work on cruise ships about five or six weeks a year and some of them will want you to do a late night show that's a little racier and uh, you know from all those years in the clubs you've got stuff in the bank you've got stuff back there that you can go back to and you don't use it very often but uh uh, so, it, I don't suppose it's that I'm such a moral person, right. <laughs> necessarily, uh, but uh, you kind of keep that on the back burner and every now and then somebody wants you to bring it out.
1: That's cool, man. And you have recently relocated, forever you were in Illinois. Let's, let's go back to before comedy, actually, because you were one of the guys who left a pretty stable, really stable environment and said, let's go do this comedy thing. So. Uh, take me through your last two jobs you had before you, you got into comedy.
0: Well, I've only had, I've only had three careers. Uh, first, uh, first out, of, I went to uh, University of Illinois and got a, a law degree and an MBA. And uh, so at 26, I graduated uh, with those two degrees. And my first job was uh, a college professor at Cal State Fresno. Oh, cool. And and uh, I did that and then also taught at Illinois State. Uh, when you add up all the teaching years, it was about 12 years of teaching full and part-time. And uh, then I was a lawyer for uh, State Farm Insurance, and that lasted for 12 years. And and uh, that's the one where people couldn't believe I left. Uh, uh, I started hanging around in comedy clubs with disreputable characters such as yourself, my fine man. Right. <laughs> I- and meeting all sorts of shady and seedy characters, and uh, uh, fate threw me just barely enough laughter I, uh, that I finally knew what I wanted to do when I grew up. And there was just one problem: I was already grown up. I was already way grown up. I was in my mid thirties when I started going. I was in my mid thirties when I started going to clubs. I I going to clubs. Uh, but I was. I, I, it wasn't until I was forty three that I was doing well enough at clubs, and I had been doing clubs at night for seven years. So I was so about 36 when I started going, going to clubs. clubs. Still, kept, still kept my day job. Uh, the thing was, uh, I did have a family. I did have responsibilities. I wasn't free to just quit and travel the country the very first time I got a laugh. I had uh, three young sons that were, you know, not that far away from college age uh, that was coming up. And so I wasn't free. You couldn't turn me back on your responsibilities. So uh, I like to say that... Uh, uh, I didn't want my kids to look back on their lives and say, well, you know, we used to live okay. <laughs> and, and then one day, Dad flipped <laughs> out and joined the circus. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, I, I wanted to make sure that, as best I could, I wanted to make sure that their college was, was going to be okay. So I, I, did, the, I did the normal, normal white-collar thing during the day. I did the comedy thing at night, mostly around the Chicago area. But at that time, there was a lot of clubs. And you know you could make a nice living at night, uh, and you know put that in the bank. And uh, by the time I was forty-three, my wife and I looked at each other and said, "Well, you know, let's give it a let's give it a try and see what happens." Uh, And the weird thing was, I knew I was going to be taking even then. I knew I was going to be taking a huge pay cut. I knew I was going to probably more than a fifty percent pay cut to go from being a corporate lawyer to traveling the country doing stand-up. But the weird thing was, the other lawyers all around me were coming into my office and saying, <laughs> oh man, how'd you do it? How'd you, find, yeah. how'd you find a way out of here? Man, oh, I wish I was you. I wish I could do that. And that was so strange to me because they all had secure jobs and they all had you know, very respectable money, but most of them weren't happy doing it. And so I wasn't such a oddball after all because I wasn't really happy doing it.
1: No, I think it's a good case of money can't buy you happiness. And if you want to make sure of that be a comedian, <laughs> <laughs> uh, then if you're not happy doing that, then you're just uh, you're just yeah. a terrible guy.
0: But, yeah. So I was, was on a, I, I, You and I have both heard a lot of comedians talk about their their parents uh, or their families' uh, disapproval, or maybe their families. Uh, Difficulty understanding how somebody could go into stand-up, uh, and uh, I was on an airplane recently, and uh, this is so strange. This guy said to me, he, said to me uh, he asked me what I did, and I just said I was a speaker, and he said, well, what do you talk about? And I said, well, I'm a comedian, and he asked me what I did before that, and I said, well, uh, well, I was a college professor, and then I was a lawyer, and he says, wow, are, you, are your parents still alive? And I said, no, and he said, well, good, because that'd probably kill them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose that would be most people's reaction, a lot of parents' reaction, but... uh Yeah, it's, it's funny, like, and
1: one of your sons followed in your footsteps as far as comedy and then, uh, more specifically, motivational stuff now. So how does that make you feel uh as a dad and just as your, you know, as a parent? Because a dad and a parent are two different things to me.
0: Yeah, well, he's doing really well. That's my, That's my oldest son, Jeff, and Jeff is about 38 now. And uh, uh, yeah, he started just in comedy, but I kind of explained to him the speaker world and I told him that, uh, that there's probably actually more money to be made if you can have a message and go out to that corporate world. And it's good to be funny there, in fact it's important to, to be uh, humorous at least a little bit to keep, it, to keep things light and keep your audience engaged. But if you can have a message, uh, you can, they'll, they'll probably even pay more uh, money for a contract for you. And I had several speaker's bureaus over the years, a number of them, you know, encouraged me to develop a more serious talk. And I, I thought about it for a little while, but I really just got into it because I, I just love hearing people laugh. Mm-hmm. And so I decided for me that was not the way to go. But he took it and ran with it. And I'd say for the last three years, uh, he's made more money than me, and, and, and in some cases, a lot more. <laughs> and and, and I, I said that to somebody, and they said, well, that must, that must make you, that must hurt. I said, in what world? That right. doesn't hurt. My son is successful. My son's not living in my garage like, <laughs> like your kid is. Oh, right, right. <laughs> He's doing great. And, and I, I could not be more proud of him or, or more happy for him. He, he, did what, he did what was good for him. I did what was good for me. And uh, I had a lot of people tell me when I, you know, when I left the corporate world in a nice you know position and salary that, uh, oh, that took a lot of guts. No, I didn't take a lot of guts. I could have gone back to it. If this had all not worked out, Mm -hmm. I could have gone back to it. In fact, when I went to this, uh, my wife uh, and I said to ourselves, well, you know, let's give it two or three years and see what happens. And, uh, you know, lucky for me, that was 21 years ago. I could have gone back to it if I had to. I hadn't burned the license or hadn't burned the degrees or anything, but I knew I didn't want to go back to it. I knew if I had to go back to it, I'd try to save my last dollar for a bullet.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and keep it in your pocket, man. Keep it in your
0: pocket. <laughs> so so are you saying that you've been in- Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. I, f- I forgot the I forgot the Barney reference. That's it, right. Everybody. Keep, keep it in your pocket. Yeah. So are you say I watch you- I wa- I watch and I watch Andy Griffith almost every day. It's on TV Land, you know, for Three hours in the morning and three hours at night. I've memorized. I, uh, I watch it a little less now because I've memorized every episode there is.
1: You know, I talk to a lot of people and they say it's like their comfort food. It's like you know having yeah. something on in the background, even if they're not watching it. It's just it's like having family in there.
0: It really is. It, it reminds me of uh, being a kid with the big leafy trees out front and you know going out and playing yeah. with your buddies and you know you, you felt a little bit like Opie.
1: Yeah, yeah, back back in the day for sure. That's yeah. cool. So. Are you saying that you've been a full-time comedian for 21 years, and you and you had the seven years leading up to that when you were kind of doing the night?
0: Seven games? years. Seven years part-time at night, working in the Chicago clubs, and then 21 years now. Yeah, okay. 21 years. I'm at 20 25
1: company. years full-time. Congratulations! Congratulations. So we we're pretty close. So you had a little little ramp up on me as far as <laughs> putting some money <laughs> got, in the bank.
0: <laughs> I got started late. You know, that's the main reason I never went to New York or LA. It was because. I was already forty-three when I when I went full-time,
1: yeah.
0: And I I just thought realistically, it's not very likely that a forty-three-year-old guy is going to go to L.A. or New York and uh, you know catch somebody's attention. Just primarily, the two strikes against me would have just been my age, right? So, uh, but I was lucky. The phone rang, and I, I got a decent reputation, and you know, you know, I I never had to actively hunt out work very much. Um, Word of mouth did pretty well for me, and and the phone rang, and I stayed busy. And uh, you know, every now and then there'll be a lull, and you'll think, okay, it's over. You know, <laughs> I think everybody feels that way once in a while. And then uh, and then the next week will come along, and you get three gigs, and you go, okay, alright I guess I'm going to keep doing this for a little while.
1: Yeah, it's interesting how that works out. And you know, even though you say you you didn't worry too much, or the the gigs came in, I thought it was because you did a great job at keeping your promo. You know, you're an early adapter for websites. Promo DVDs, VHS. We used to mount those VHS tapes for three seventy five a pop. You know. Oh man, didn't we do that forever? Yeah, but you were one of the guys when I started working with some bureaus and different little booking agencies. They'd say, they literally say, "Well, take a look at Rex's stuff because that's that's kind of what we need. If you're going to try to okay. get corporate work, you know, okay. it's a nice, clean looking promo. It's a great looking website. It's easy to contact. Okay. And so you were kind of like a template many times for me, just kind of when I get some stuff ready, like. Would this hold up okay. if I'm next to Rex?
0: Okay. All right. Well, I I never knew that. Thank you. Those are kind words. I appreciate that.
1: How much time and and thought did you put into getting your promo and stuff ready? Because you had CDs pretty early in the process, right? I remember you selling those.
0: Yeah. Get 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 getting the CD out. Uh, Tim Cavanaugh said it best to me. He's, it, it's a birthing process, and it's just about as long and torturous and painful. <laughs> uh, don't you think so? It's don't you close. think so? You just listen to yourself over and over. You listen to that cut over and over. You try to make a decision whether or not it represents you well or not. Uh, You you see if there's anything you can do to make it a little bit better. Uh, Sometimes you decide to leave well enough alone. Sometimes you decide, no, I got to record that again somewhere else, and uh, and, and, and it takes takes months to get something ready to where you're finally happy with it, and uh, even then you can drive yourself crazy with second guesses.
1: Oh, you so. definitely can. I always now when I record, especially a live CD, I'll just record all my shows for six or seven months. And, you know, and the one night everything will just line up. And, mm-hmm. and even on that night, you know, I'll cut ten or fifteen minutes off of it for the CD. It's just like it, it didn't hold up with the rest of it because yeah. you know, they were dropping checks or something was going on, what have you. <laughs> you know. But I, I read this quote recently that, and I probably said it last week on the podcast. But Salvador Dali has this great quote. He says. Never fear perfection because you'll never encounter it. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that a lot, especially coming from him. Who, when I look at his paintings, I'm like, "That's perfect." Yeah, like, yeah. He puts so much into it, but he's like, you know, at some point, it's done.
0: Yes, yes. You do have to move on to the next thing, and there are other other uh, frontiers and challenges, and yeah.
1: And you've also done a good job at putting a, a title on your show, as far as uh, everything I needed to know, I kind of learned from my wife or or. I'm sorry. I'm a guy. Yeah. What, was,
0: what was the title? That, that well, the, the 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 more the more recent one, and the one that I'm using currently is uh, yes. Everything I needed to know, I learned from my wife, and uh, it's, it's about men and women. And it takes the position that uh, for the most part, men have lost the battle of the sexes, and we should uh, we should learn how to peacefully surrender. <laughs> <laughs> now, and you know, I do that tongue in cheek. I don't think it's in the nature of either men or women to completely surrender, and I think we will always. But heads a little bit, uh-huh. and and, uh, and enjoy the fight. But boy, well, I have run into a few, a just a few, uh, real macho guys who you know want to want to get want to get mad with me for <laughs> for that thing. Hey, you know, I don't take anything from any, uh, any woman. Nobody tells me what to do. You ever run into those people, nobody, nobody tells me what to do?
1: Yeah, they're usually single and have nobody in their
0: house to tell them what to do.
1: There's a reason. Nobody talks to you anymore. <laughs>
0: uh, you meet a lot of guys when they talk, about, when, they, when guys that are afraid of the government, they'll come in and say, nobody tells me what to do. And I think, do you stop at stop signs? Right. Yeah. Well, then somebody tells you what Some, to do. Somebody okay. in your head, buddy. Occasionally, somebody tells you what to do. I'm sorry about that.
1: <laughs> I would... I would <laughs> I would think that angle uh, with, with the women would be a, a nice plus when you go to book engagements when the event planner is a female. She can see that and go, hey, this, this might not be too bad.
0: Check you it know, out. And you know, 90% of, the, 90% of the event planners are women. Uh, so I, I think there, there might be a, a small advantage there.
1: I'm actually going to title my new program, Everything I Needed to Know I Learned from Rex Haven's Wife. see if I can get some of those spin-off gigs
0: (laughs) I I, I really got lucky I've got this I've got this wonderful marriage where we tease each other I think I think uh, we've got a wonderful 50-50 going on and therefore I don't really have to be a chest pounder you know a Cro-Magnon man and uh, claim, claim to be the leader of the house I can laugh about the ones that I lose, and, uh, and I, can, I can talk about the ones that I win. Yeah. Uh, and, and we both of us have this attitude that it's 50-50. Uh, and, and I do understand that some people in the audience don't come from that background. Right. Uh, uh, there was a guy on a cruise ship uh, one time. I, I actually, he didn't know I was there. I actually overheard him, and after my act, he said, he said, well, I think he ought to sit that woman down and explain to her what's what. Oh, no. <laughs> I thought, how many times have the police been called to your house?
1: <laughs> yeah, you should have said, hey, buddy, here's the phone number. You give it a try. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I don't talk to too many comics that are uh, successful comics and have a successful marriage, so I, I should jump in <laughs> jump in for a second and just ask you, um, do you have any unwritten or, or understood rules, or not necessarily rules, but Just understandings between you as far as how much travel you do and how much she's willing to tolerate, or even better, how long you're allowed to stay home before she wants you out of the house.
0: There's a little bit of that sometimes. Um, We've never really had a problem with that. The longest longest I've I've been away was uh, four weeks. And I've heard of... uh, like Hollywood marriages that have a have a rule of, that they're not apart for say two weeks or three weeks that they that, that they that they will not go longer than that, and uh, I think four was the most. Um, she just Sarah. My wife's name is Sarah, and she's just always been so wonderfully supportive. I tell the story sometimes, uh, especially in front of a corporate group. I will tell them the the story of. Um, when we sat down and decided to do this. And I said that uh, my wife uh, and God lovers, she found herself looking into the eyes of a middle-aged man who said, sweetheart, this makes no sense at all. I'm too old, Uh, I'm bald, I'm not photogenic, I'm not telegenic, no one is ever going to build a sitcom around me and I will probably never be famous. But I love only you more than the sound of a room full of people enjoying a good laugh. And if possible, I would like to throw all the security out the window and join the circus. (laughs) And she looked back at me and said, do it. We'll make it work. That's great. And I always say, I will stay by her side forever because, let's be honest, it would be too cruel to leave a woman that stupid. (laughs) Let's and I have told that story sometimes in front of a group of couples, uh-huh. and I have seen wives cut their eyes at their husbands and say to him, "Don't you get any stupid ideas like that
1: That's funny <laughs> yeah that's funny
0: yeah. and i I know I have an exceptional woman in my life who would say, "Just go do it. It's your dream. go do it, we'll make it work if we have, If we had problems, we'll deal with the problems then but let's 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 uh, let's give it a try." So yeah, she let me go, and I would be gone for sometimes, uh, sometimes two and two and three weeks. Anymore, more, uh, I will occasionally do a cruise ship gig. So anymore I'm never gone for more than a week. And I'm at a stage in life where I don't have to snap up uh, everything uh, that comes along. Remember when you were young, when you were young and new in the business? Bill Maher likes to say when he was when he was young, just starting out. His quote was, "I would go anywhere for fifty dollars." Right. And he was based in New Jersey at the time. He would go anywhere for $50. He would get in his car is what he meant. And he would drive as much, as long as it took for $50. I remember one time when I went from, I drove from uh, Illinois to Pennsylvania for, I think, $250. right. Something like that. Eventually, you get to a place where okay, I'm not that desperate. I'm not that de- there's uh, some of the some of the cheap things I'm not going to do anymore where it doesn't make sense. Where I'm probably lost money by the time that I've paid for my travel. Uh, do, do, you, do you remember any, any anything you did in your early career where you went some ridiculous uh, distance for almost nothing?
1: Well, I'm, I remember more specifically one the first time I got into the uh, Davenport Funny Bone back when Lisa Young ran it. Yeah. And I lived in Columbus, Ohio. I, I think that was like an eight-hour drive, if I remember right. It was it was pretty brutal. Got to be. And I went and did the week, and everything went pretty good. Sunday night, you know, she's like, "Hey, we should have you back pretty soon." Monday, I drive all the way back home to Columbus, and Tuesday morning, she goes, "Our MC fell out for the week. Do you want to come back?" <laughs> and so it's Tuesday morning. The shows or Tuesday night, <laughs> and I just literally just shook all the road weariness off of me and I, I just loaded my truck up and went right back and I remember I must <laughs> love doing this because I'm driving 16 hours within 48 hours to go back to the same place to tell the same jokes <laughs> to the same people <laughs> and that that really just always stands out as you know that was a, an opportunity and she she liked me as a comic and was able to get me into other places yeah. from that yeah. And but in my mind I thought if I say no to this she'll never have me back yeah you know, many years later, I realized that she, she wouldn't have worried about it at all. She would just call the next person on the list, but I was yeah. just happened to be... She was probably looking at my W9 sitting right on top of her desk, and my phone number was there, <laughs> you know, right next to it. She, I'll just call Rick and see. And uh, so, yeah, I remember some of those times. There's been plenty of times where there was uh, break-even or, or even eat a few dollars just to make a connection or just to yep. Work, yep. work on material, or to do Bob and Tom back in the day, yep. um, some of those kinds of things. And you got to... Early on, I don't think you can take too many gigs and and have regrets about it because you're building character, you're building material, you're building stage yeah. time and relationships. But there is a point where, you know, hopefully there's a point for everybody where you get to where you are like, you know, this would this would definitely be a setback for me to go here for that. Yeah. Um, opportunity cost is another thing. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I did a couple of cruises. I did one earlier this year. I did some of the Norwegian ones. Um, a couple of Disney's. And you know how they they would really love to have you on there for months at a time. Right. And, you know, that wasn't something I was going to be able to pull off with the family. And But even when before I had my kids, I just thought, man, if I'm gone for two weeks, you know, how many gigs am I going to miss booking in those two weeks because I didn't get the phone call back quick enough to the booker and those right. kinds of things. Right, right. That's, that's changed a little bit because the Wi-Fi and the Internet makes you a little bit more on top of it than in the old days. but you know, back in the 90s when you were on a cruise, sometimes you didn't even have a phone that worked on the ship for three days if you were at sea. So yep. it's, things have changed. Yeah. Uh, what what still gets you excited about doing comedy? You know, this many years in, do you still have some, you know, when the new real, new year rolls around, do you set some goals for yourself? Or like, you know, I want to have a DVD this year, or I want to make this connection, or you know, what, what are some things on your <laughs> bucket list, I guess I would say, because I've, I've got many, but I'm curious about yours
0: um i've been working i've been doing a stage show uh that is probably the thing that's gotten gotten me the most uh excited over the last few years uh i've been doing it's a two-hour show it's a two-hour one-man show that I do in theaters, and it's called Everything I Needed. to Know I Learned From My Wife, and the, it has its own separate website, which you might not have seen. It's uh, simply com. Okay. And that uses a movie screen behind me. We got about 500 images and audio and video, and um, uh, it's a, like I say, it's a two-hour thing with an intermission. Uh And uh, I started seeing other people using movie screens and PowerPoint and started just eventually I I, I resisted for a long, long time, but then I eventually started using it and then I got the equipment and started playing with it and found that it was kind of an exciting different set of muscles uh, than doing straight stand-up and um, started to really get into it and enjoy it. I think I did it for the first time probably four years ago. And I've gone to some of these theater conventions around the country <clears throat> where you you know you have a booth and you sit there for two or three days and you meet people and you tell them who you are and you show them a little bit about what you do. And then uh, it's led to some good work. Uh, I'm happy about that and it's kind of fun. Um, anytime, I heard Seinfeld say one time that the greatest thrill in this business is hearing a new laugh for the first time. Something that you've developed and you know you had an idea, and it turned out to be a good instinct, and it caused a nice laugh. Uh, if you've told a joke for the hundredth time, and you've heard the hundredth laugh, it's still nice, right. but it's the, it's the hundredth time you heard that laugh, so it's not going to surprise you too much. The first time you really try something, and it's successful, and you hear a new laugh for a new piece of material, he said that's the most exciting moment in comedy, and I think that there's something to that. I think the other odd thing about comedy is some of the greatest highs in doing it occur when you're alone because I think it's equally exciting when you're sitting there by yourself at your desk or in your car and you you have the next nice idea and it's when it first gels in your mind oh wait a minute if you piece it together like this I think that would really work and there's a little bit of an adrenaline rush that goes through you then and then you, you can't wait to try that out somewhere
1: no that's great yeah. I think that's that's what keeps me fired up about it too is you know I, I, there was probably a good chunk of time where I didn't develop a lot of new material because I was just trying to keep the keep the plate spinning and get to the next gig and that kind of stuff uh, but that's my favorite part now is just getting the new stuff out there it took me probably 15 years to separate my jokes from me so if the crowd didn't laugh at the joke it didn't mean they, did, they hated me all of a sudden. It's just that joke wasn't good. <laughs> and I wish I could have picked up on that like the second day I did comedy. But it's so hard to separate yourself. And now it's just like I'm running an experiment every time I hit the stage. And I, I don't care if they don't laugh. That, that gives me a piece of data or information that I can use to make that joke work better. Yeah. And if they do laugh, then I can take that and stretch it out and find a different angle to of spin off of it. And that, that's cool. Do you find yourself um, writing more about the marriage topic for this show still or are you, are you trying to find different topics that kind of spin off of marriage that could stand on alone that you bring into the show? Like, what's your process for developing your show?
0: Um, well, I, I have tried to expand it to include uh, kids and grandkids because that's the stage in life that I'm at and uh, um, I'll tell you what, back when I was, like I said, when I was 43 and I'm almost 64 now, when I was 43 and, and got into comedy, I thought, well, I'm only gonna be able, I won't be able to do this beyond 50. I thought to myself, you know, by the time I'm 50, nobody wants to hear somebody over 50 coming in and telling jokes. And I was wrong. Uh, you know, the phone still kept ringing and the jobs kept coming in because, as it turns out, the audience is getting older, too. Right. And somewhere out there, whatever age you are, there, there is an audience for you. There is somebody who has. There is a large group of people who have experienced in life much of what you have experienced, and I, I might not. Uh, if if I was doing a an after prom, we might not we might not be relating to each other too much. <laughs> but but if you're doing if you're doing a corporate gig for uh, you know Bank of America, yeah, we've, we've 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 got a lot of shared experiences there.
1: Yes, I've sent you a lot uh, of checks, Bank of America. You should know my name by now. <laughs> it's funny, like you do know when to. You know, cut bait and just let somebody else take it. Uh, you know, just just this week, I turned down a chance to open for Alice in Chains, the, really, the, the rock and roll band. <laughs> and you know, I could have done it just for the story. You know, I, I could have recorded it to show you how how you should not make these decisions. <laughs> but um, you know, my wife used to work for a concert agency, and one of the guys there was like, "Hey, I thought of Rick for this show," and you know, she thought of three or four other people. With we can't kind of get with a short list of people like would would do it that are closer to where the gig is, that would would have fun doing it and and still entertain that crowd. And I just, stuff like that, colleges I don't do as much, you know, but just, most of my crowds are 10 years on either side of my age. So 37 to to 57-ish, that's where my wheelhouse is. And I can reach the other sides, but that's where it hits the best.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I like, I, I, I find, you know, Jay Leno was the perfect example of a guy who showed everybody... That you could, Jay Leno at 60 years old was still telling jokes about sitting in the back of the car and his dad reaching around over the seat to slap him and tell him to shut up or I'll turn this car around. Right. And I used to think to myself when Jay was 40 and doing those jokes, I used to keep thinking, you know, Jay, you're 40. You're you're talking about when you were 12. At some point, you got to quit talking about when you were 12. I was wrong. He was right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those experiences are so deep in our minds and we can go back to that time in our minds so quickly that it's still funny. It's, people still remember what it was like when they were 12 and even though Jay Leno is 65 now, he can still talk about that and he can still make an audience laugh about that because they, they do remember. So uh, I think if you word it right and if you phrase it right, it, 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 in, to some degree it doesn't matter how old you are, you can, uh, you can take an audience there. Yeah, you, you remember Tim Wilson. Uh, I do, I do, and Terrible Loss.
1: Yeah, yeah, he was he was a great comic in a lot of ways, and he told me something in the green room just in passing that I've always held on to. He's like, like, Rick, anything you laughed at when you were in high school, it's still funny. Write jokes about that.
0: You know, there's, there's there's plenty of wisdom there.
1: You know, because that's before you get too serious and settled down and paying the mortgage and all that stuff, and you, and you still realize how, how to have fun. So if you can capture that in the material, some jokes, go with that. and. As old as he was, and as experienced, he still had jokes that connected back to the way he thought back then. I just thought that was a great way to look at, it. like, you know, write about your experiences now, but also tap into the experiences that made you who you are now.
0: That is a great observation. I'm glad you shared that with me. I'm going to remember that. Uh, and we laughed more. Everybody laughs more when you're young than when you're old. So the things that you found funny, most of them happened when you, were, when you were young. Not that you don't still have plenty of things that make you laugh when you were older, but the average child, this is true, uh, laughs 400 times a day. The average adult, 15.
1: Yeah, and that guy worked so, in a toll booth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so every year that goes by, you lose a little bit more of the laughter that you were born with. And by the time you become an adult, you have lost over 96% of the laughter that you were born with. You have, you have less than, you are using, you're laughing less than 4% as often as you did when you were young. So um, sometimes I, I, I like to tell an audience, um, if, if, when they've been a great audience, you know, and we've been going for an hour and, you know, they've laughed uh, maybe, you know, 100 or 150 times. I like to tell uh, them, you can take the next month off.
1: Right, right. (laughs) That's good.
0: (laughs) You know, that you've laughed enough tonight for at least the next 10 days.
1: Yeah. Put it in the bank, buddy.
0: Yeah, put it in the bank. I got into it for the simplest, most basic rule of law. I didn't have any ulterior motives. I just love the sound people make when they laugh. I think it is the kindest, purest sound there is. And I, I consider it a privilege to be able just to be in a room with 100 or 1,000 people that have decided we're gonna put our cares away for a little while and we're gonna laugh. I always say this is kind of a silly job. I I address a lot of people that are uh, doing very serious things in the world and I I tell them that uh, thank you for your dedication, uh, what you people do takes, uh, takes drive and education and uh, determination and professionalism and what you do is important and that is where you and I differ because I'm a comedian and it's one of the silliest wastes of human energy ever invented. But I do say that there are three good things that happen when you laugh. For five seconds, you don't hate anybody, you're not hurting anybody and nobody's hurting you. It's so it's a great place to go. It doesn't last nearly long enough. Right. It's over, it's over pretty soon, and most of us go back to our bad habits. But for five seconds, you don't hate anybody, you're not hurting anybody, and nobody's hurting you. And with all that going for it, that is someplace you should go as often as you can.
1: Man, that's good. We might want to leave it right there. I'm at peace (laughs) with my decision to be a comedian right now. Good. That's really strong, man. Well, Rex, uh, where can I send people if they want to find out more about you now that they've heard you in in their ears
0: for a little while? Awful nice of you, buddy. It's Rexhavens.com. and uh, we've got a lot of of video there. And uh, then for the play, if you want to see a little bit of interactive stuff with the movie screen over my shoulder and a little bit of that show, that is learned. That's past tense. Learnedfrommywife.com. Awesome. Thanks a lot, bud. Uh, Just a ball to see you again. An absolute privilege. And uh, thanks a million. You bet.
1: So there you go. Rex Havens, a very kind-hearted man who has uh, made a lot of well-thought-out decisions in his career. And uh, he's enjoying being a grandfather now. You can find out more about Rex Havens at rexhavens.com and learned From com, if you want to find out more about his play. And if you uh, know some people that run a theater out there and would like to bring Rex in, I can vouch for him 1,000% funny and well worth your time. Hey, real quickly I'd like to read out an iTunes review. Thank you guys for continuing to post those. I would still like to get to 100 before I turn 100. We're right around 87, so if you've thought about doing something, maybe you can't be a Patreon supporter. This is one way you can kind of feed the fire of the podcast and keep me going. This is from Zombie Mommy Saves from June twenty sixth. Best learn how to be a comedian podcast. Five stars. Boom. Thank you. Want to learn how to work in comedy and make a living too? Rick Roberts School of Lash brings you the structure to accomplish your goals. There is a business to comedy and Rick shares the techniques to launch or grow your career even if you're already working. Hey, thanks Zombie Mommy Saves. Hope you're out there saving lives right now and uh, wherever that might be. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. I think I've covered all my announcements. We do have some live classes coming up in August if you're in the Nashville, Tennessee area. We have a writing class and a performing class. Uh, check out SchoolOfLaughs.com for more info on that. And, of course, the online writing class is there for you to take anytime you're ready. So do that. Check out the website, and I'll talk to you guys next week.
0: Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit SchoolofLasts.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay funny.